Four Corners Church exists to provide families in North Cincinnati their greatest opportunity to become fully developing followers of Christ. We hope that this week's episode encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We would love to hear from you. So at any time, email nextsteps at fourcornerschurch.com, and we look forward to connecting with you. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Four Corners. Uh, all right, it's a little bit better. Hey, whether you were in person or online, we are so grateful that you chose to spend a little bit of your weekend with us. And uh, we don't think you're here by accident. So what we're going to do is we're going to look in this book that we believe is the Word of God. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, or if you want to turn your phone on, you can look at Genesis chapter 37. We're going to look um, at a story that um, I have always enjoyed, um, which as you look there, I'm sure you'll figure out pretty soon. My name is Joseph. I'm on staff here. I'm very thankful to be at a church such as this at Four Corners. I'm also very thankful um, for a man who leads us in Pastor Ben. Something that I've learned um, in my 30 years, I'm in the golden years now, if you didn't know. In my 30 years of life, something I've learned that's very important is consistency. Um, and especially in the season we're in, I don't think I've ever realized the importance of people who are consistent in your life. And I'm thankful for Pastor Ben because even in this season, he continues to be a consistent, loving pastor to me and to many of you. I uh, shared in the first service just a few weeks ago, he texted me and asked if we could meet. And uh, of course, I came in prepared with all of my items that I figured he wanted to know about. Here's what's going on in the church. Here's who we need to call. Here's what I'm seeing. And he stopped me real quick and he said, oh, that's, that's great. Joseph, how are you doing personally? And I hadn't been asked that question in a while um, during this season. I was just so grateful and thankful to have a, a friend, a mentor, but a pastor who rather around the mountain or rather in a valley, his heart is for people and to make sure that we are still connecting to God. Um, so if you're in the building, will you help me give it up for Pastor Ben? If you're online, you can put a comment. A fire emoji, Pastor Ben, we love you. We're thankful for you and your leadership here at our church. So I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to read verses 17 through 28. A little bit more than usual for me, but we're going to read verses 17 through 28, all right? So starting in verse 17, I'm going to skip about halfway into it. It says, So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. And the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to, sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So the title of the message today is Dreams and Nightmares. 
dreams and nightmares. If you're in the building, you know that you don't have a choice. You have to engage with me, right? But if you're online, I want you to put that in the comments, dreams and nightmares. That's the title of our message this morning. I'm going to pray and we'll jump into it. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. I thank you that you are with our church. I thank you that you consistently speak week in and week out. And God, I pray that you would do what only you can do right now that you would speak to our hearts and you would speak to our minds. So God, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory and honor. And everybody said, amen and amen. So real quick, short survey here. How many of you enjoy sleeping? Even at home. All right. Those of you whose hands are not up, I just want you to know we all enjoy sleeping because of you. You wear us out. You're exhausting. I love sleep. Sleeping is one of my favorite things to do, to be completely honest. And it's something that I've gotten really good at. You know, I got married a few years ago, and when we did our premarital counseling, they gave us a lot of advice. They gave us advice on conflict management. They gave us advice on how to manage our time. They gave us advice on sex. They gave us advice on so many things. You know what they didn't talk about? What happens when you put someone who is a morning person and someone who is not a morning person, and you put them together. They don't tell you what's going to happen in the morning because it gets rough, right? Like it is rough in the streets sometimes at my house because I am not a morning person. Anybody else who you just wake up mad, right? Like, like, you know, you're like, I know scripture says the joy of the Lord is my strength, but I don't feel no joy right now. I want to go back to sleep. I wake up and it's like, honestly, like some of you have gone on trips with me. Don't talk to me in the morning. Definitely don't sing in the morning. If you turn on the lights, I will fight you. Like I am not a morning person. Some of the students, they know I wake up hours before them because I wanted to still think I'm a Christian by the time they wake up because I'm just not good in the morning. My wife, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. She loves mornings. Like it's her favorite time of day. And I don't mean like the morning routine. I mean, the moment she wakes up is her favorite moment of the day. And it drives me nuts. Because here's what she will do. She will wake up, and I'm dead serious. The, the, somehow the Lord will put a song in her heart. She'll wake up singing. And I'm just sitting there like, dear Lord, like somebody, please tell me. She's the same woman who if I'm in the bathroom trying to get ready, some of you, you do this to people, and, you know, we're going to pray for you. She will come in singing, not only singing, she's dancing. And so I'm like trying to brush my teeth, and she's kind of like bumping me, you know, and moving. I'm like, woman? Like, like, Lord help you if you don't shut it down. Like she is the absolute most happiest, joyous times you're gonna be all day in the morning when I'm not at my best. So in my house, I wake up two hours earlier than everybody else. That's a true story because I want my kids to love me. Um, so I have to wake up earlier. Also, um, the, the difference that my wife and I found in our sleep is that we actually sleep through the night very, very differently. See, I never had more than a twin bed until I was 22 years old. So I'm used to kind of sleeping on the edge right? I'm used to kind of small spaces. My wife, on the other hand, she sleeps spread eagle, right? And if you like this, like you just love to move and spread out and you need three pillows because you're going to roll that many times and you need three pillows to make sure your head is on one. Like that is my wife. Me, on the other hand, I sleep in one spot and I'm more kind of like a vampire. Like I just kind of sleep on my back and just kind of cross my arms and I don't move. Like I am solo and I'm perfectly content. See, when my wife and I got married, she wasn't used to people who slept like this. So what would happen is many, many times she would wake up in the middle of the night and I would be completely unmoved. And she would be so worried that I'm, that I was, uh, because I wasn't moving so much, she'd be so worried that I wasn't breathing. So, you know, what most normal people do, right? And babe, you're more than normal. That's why I said that. Um, you're better than normal. But most ordinary people, what they would do is they would do something simple. Like they would, you know, try to check for a pulse, maybe watch their chest to see if it's going up and down. Maybe put your hand in front of their face and see if you can feel any oxygen, you know, air coming in or out. That is not my wife. 
My wife has a very unique way of checking. So she decides that she wants to check the neck, but she is not the type of person who figured out that you do two fingers. She just knew that if you check the neck, you can find a pulse. So what she did many times is what she would do is she would have to get up, get on top of me. Now again, I'm sleeping. I'm having a great dream. And she would get on top of me. Instead of using two fingers, she would use her hand and she would press until she felt a pulse. Now, how many of you know you will feel a pulse sooner or later if you keep pushing right here? And so I would wake up with someone on top of me pressing their hand against my neck. And let me tell you, we had some fights. Like I canceled her lifetime membership um, right there, the TV um, channel, because I was like, you watching too much. You're getting too many ideas here. Like, like it was terrifying. I had so many great dreams that were ruined in a moment with an absolute nightmare that my wife is, in my mind, choking me to death. Like it was terrifying, right? And this still happened from time to time, and she's the best. She really is. But um, she also has fulfilled my nightmare many times. So, but what, what I found, though, is a lot of times in life, what happens is we live a dream, and then it seems like in the blink of an eye, we go from a dream to a nightmare. Like, it seems like it almost happens without us even noticing, but life is going so great. You're doing exactly what you want. Things are exactly as you wish they'd be, and then it seems like in an instant, you went from a dream to a nightmare. Right, like, like, like marriage is one of the easiest ways to, to look at this, right? Because what happens is you have the fairy tale wedding, right? Like, I mean, everything was beautiful. You had the best dress. His hair was perfect. Your parents all got along. Everybody was dancing. It was the greatest day of your life. And the honeymoon's awesome. And the first year goes by and the second year goes by. Now you're in the third, fourth, maybe fifth year. And all of a sudden, this ain't what I signed up for. Like you've had enough fights to last a lifetime. You've been more angry than you ever thought you could be angry at somebody. You're more exhausted than you ever thought you could be exhausted. And so what was once your dream has now almost overnight seemingly become a nightmare, right? Or, or maybe, maybe this is more present for you. Maybe you're one of those people who six months ago, you had your dream job, right? Like life was going awesome. You were good at your job. You enjoyed who you worked with. You were living the dream. You had a life set up. Your retirement was being worked on. You were doing plans with your house. You had vacation plans with your family. You had so many good things. And then out of nowhere, you lose your job. And now instead of the dream that you had, you still three, four, maybe even five months later, haven't found a job. And it was a dream just a few months ago. But now it's a nightmare that you just want to get out of, Right? Or maybe, come on, let's be real, because I know this is what's going on right now. Maybe you're a parent, and you're like, man, um, I was living the dream. I sent my kid to school. They had the exact same experience that I had, that decades of people have had, generations have had this type of experience, and now you have no idea what it's going to look like. You had a life and an order and a, and a way of doing things that now what was once the dream is now a nightmare that you're trying to figure out what to do because if you do this, you feel like you're wrong. If you do this, you feel like you're wrong. And nobody can give you a clear answer. And so what was once a dream that you were living, the American dream of how things are supposed to be has now become a nightmare. You see, it's very, very easy and it's almost, almost without us even noticing for our lives to go from dreams to nightmares. As I was preparing for this message, I thought about most of the nightmares I've had. Maybe you've had nightmares like these before. But have you ever had that nightmare where, like, you are absolutely petrified, but you can't move? Have you ever had that nightmare where, like, you just want to scream as loud as you can, but as hard as you try, you can't get a sound out of your voice? And you're there, and all you want to do is scream, and all you want to do is run, and all you want to do is fight back. But no matter what, this nightmare just has you completely paralyzed. And I feel like what's happening in our lives right now is a lot of us are living in what was once a dream and now is a nightmare and we feel paralyzed. 
We don't know really what we should do. We don't know where we should go. We don't know what we should say. And I believe that God is calling the Big C Church, I believe he's calling us in this room and online and, and me myself to say, listen, there is more that he has for us, even in this nightmare. You see, there's a story that we read about a guy named Joseph. Great name, by the way. So we read a story about a guy named Joseph, and he was a dreamer, right? I mean, he, he had it made. He was the favorite son of Jacob. He was so favored, they gave him this coat so that when everybody saw Joseph, they'd say, man, he's a man. Like, everybody loves Joseph. Look at that sweet coat right there. Like, everybody loves Joseph. But on top of that, not only was he living the dream as a son, but God gave him a dream. He gave him dreams that said he was going to be elevated. He was going to be important. Even his family was going to bow down to him. And now he's living a nightmare. You see, we know all of this, that he's living the dream. We know that he has this dream. And then almost out of nowhere, he's going to see his brothers and they get angry and they capture him. They put him in a cistern and eventually they sell him. And the last part of that verse we read is now he's a slave on his way to Egypt. So the day before, he's a favorite son who God gave dreams of grandeur and things he was going to do. And now the next day, he's a slave. He's been betrayed by his brothers and he's on his way to Egypt. I don't know about you, but some of the most frustrating times of my life are the moments where I feel like, I'm living a nightmare out of a dream that I didn't even have for myself. God gave me that dream. Now this has become a nightmare, and it wasn't even something that I wanted. It wasn't something that I went for. God, you put this in me. You gave me this passion. You opened up this opportunity, and now the very thing you've given me has turned into a nightmare. Like That is when I become, personally, Joseph, angry. How must Joseph have felt in this moment to be betrayed, to go from the favorite, favorite son living the dream to now a slave living a nightmare. And the thing that happens right there in verse 23, I love that it sticks out to me when we read it. I'm going to put it on the screen. It says, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing. See, what they wanted to do is make sure that Joseph knew, hey, you may be favored. Yeah, you think that you've got everything going on, but what we're going to do is we're going to rip the very thing that signifies your favoredness. We're going to rip the very thing that says that you're worth something. We're going to take that off of you and expose you for who you really are. And it's just a boy, just a kid. There's nothing special about you. Let's go ahead and take this thing off. It was the beginning of his nightmare. And here's the thing I've learned about nightmares is nightmares always expose who we truly are. Nightmares always expose who we truly are. You see, what happens a lot of times is we're living this life, we're living the dream, and we're putting this image out of what we hope people see, of what we want people to think about us, of what we want on social media. And this is good, this is great. But the moment you start living a nightmare, it's going to strip off all of the things about you that are fake, all the things about you that aren't real, all the things that aren't true about you. And what's going to be left is you're going to be sitting here exposed for who you truly are. I'm going to tell you, this is incredibly uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable in this season because I'm being exposed for who I really am. So maybe let's just do a few examples here. You know, something I love talking to people about is I'm not against alcohol at all. But what I hear a lot of times from people is I only drink, uh, I only drink socially, right? I'm a social drinker, but then you're not able to hang out socially with people for five months and you've drunk more alcohol than you've ever drunk in your life. Well, are you a social drinker or is there something deeper that's going on? Well, I only, you know, pornography is not a big part of my life. It's just something I look at when I'm bored and I'm home alone. But now you've been home, not alone for months. Your family and your kids have been there and you've watched more pornography than you've ever watched in your life in this season. Right, you know what? Me and my wife, we get along okay. Like, you know, we, we don't really get in a lot of fights because I have a reprieve. I can go to work for eight hours a day. But now that I can't go to work for eight hours a day, we're constantly together and we're fighting and we're arguing. And I'm realizing that when I'm exposed, I really got some deep anger and bitterness that I've never dealt with towards them. 
We're being exposed in a way that I don't believe we've ever seen before, not just personally, but even in a society and as a culture. So I was on the phone. I've got notes here because I want to make sure that I say it exactly right. I've got a friend who works in Nashville. With the, uh, he works in a medical field there. And he, uh, we were talking the other day, and he said, listen, Joseph, like, there's a lot. Like the, the, like the medical thing is serious. Like he's not demeaning what's going on um, with the disease. But he said there's a second side of this that I think is even bigger than people are willing to look at. And the statistics are staggering. So I want to give you just a couple of those in the way that our society is being exposed like never before. The Washington Post wrote an article that showed the percentage jump in drug overdose during this season. So March of 2020 compared to March of 2019, drug overdose was up 18%. In April, drug overdose was up 29% from last year. And in May, drug overdose was up 42%. We're being exposed. There's something deeper that's going on here. Um, ABC uh, put out an article. There's stuff all over the country. The one that um, I, I ended up finding and reading was about Los Angeles. And they talked about the suicide hotline. It's always been there. And they said in the, between the months of February and March, the number of phone calls the suicide hotline got in Los Angeles alone went up over 8,000% in one month because people were being exposed. How about this? The United Nations said, put out an article that said, at minimum, they know that across the planet, not just the United States, across the planet, domestic abuse has increased at least 20%. At least 20% of an increase across the planet. How about this? This one was the most disturbing to me. There's an organization. You can look them up. You can read this article. They're called RAIN, R-A-I-N-N. It stands for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. They said in March alone, there was a 22% increase in calls coming from children who were under the age of 18. A 22% increase in one month of kids saying, I have family members and people close to me who are harming me sexually. Like we're being exposed in a way that we've never seen before, and it should be alarming. It should raise some red flags to us. As a church, we should be deeply concerned. I talked to a pastor friend of mine the other day, and he said it perfectly. He said, I feel like this is do or die. Like there is a physical thing that we're battling, but man, we are battling for people's eternity. And it seems like we're just letting it go by while the statistics are showing us that we're being exposed and there are massive issues deep within who we are as human beings, Joseph included. And instead of dealing with it, we're sticking our head in the sand and ignoring it because we're tired and we have too much going on. And I gotta tell you, that's a problem. Or maybe you say, none of these apply to me. You don't really understand that, you know, I'm not there. I haven't done any of these. Let's look at 1 Corinthians then. Because we know that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? You should have never asked it. It's anybody that God puts on your path. So 1 Corinthians 13, here's what it says love looks like. And I wonder if this is the way that we are living, loving people. Number one, love is patient. How patient have you been in this season? Joseph, not so patient. Not so patient. Not just with people, I mean, with my own family. How about this? Love is kind. How kind have you been in this season? You can hop on social media and see that there's not a lot of kindness going around. How about this? Love does not envy. If you have a beach house that you get to go to every weekend, I envy you. Like, it just seems not fair. Like, I can't help it. Like, I'm struggling. Love does not boast. It is not proud. How about this? Love does not dishonor others. Man, we are good at dishonoring people. 
How easy is it to dishonor politicians, to dishonor people in authority over us, to dishonor people that we like, people who disagree with us, people who we don't understand. We are amazing at dishonoring them during this season because we're living in a nightmare and it's exposing who we truly are. And Christians are called to live to a different standard. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. How many of you have been easily angered lately? told the story a few weeks ago. One of my daughters knocked over a cup of water. She's three. It happens. And I was ticked. I mean, I went off. And afterwards, my wife was like, what is wrong with you? Like, I don't know. Like, that is not that big of a deal. But I'm so easily angered these days. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I think if we were really deeply honest with ourselves, we'd have to get down to the root and say, you know what? I've been exposed lately. This nightmare has exposed the man I am or the woman I am, and it's not really who I thought I was, and it's really not who God's called me to be. It should be alarming, and it should be concerning. And during this season, instead of what we tend to do is we tend to say, well, I'm going to ignore this. I'm going to put my relationship on God in the back burner. What we should actually be doing is we should realize that this should cause us to understand we have a bigger need for a Savior than ever before. Nightmares expose our need for a Savior. It exposes our need that says, I need someone bigger than me, someone stronger than me, someone who can do what I can't do because I'm a messed up human being, Joseph at the front of the line. I need a savior in my life because I'm tired, because I'm exhausted, because it's chaotic, because I'm frustrated, because I have no idea what next week's gonna look like, but I know that I've been called to live a certain way. But in this nightmare, I've gotta realize that I need a savior. I need someone who died over 2,000 years ago that even in my nightmares, he is the one who can give me strength. You see, Joseph is in a nightmare and it's scary we know that he goes to, the story continues that he goes to a man's house named Potiphar. And Potiphar's a, I mean, he's a bad dude. He's the captain of Pharaoh's guard. Like, he's legit. And Joseph is there, and he's excelling. He's doing really well. And then eventually Potiphar's wife uh, makes a pass at him, and Joseph says, no, he does the right thing. And Potiphar's wife lies about him, and she ends up getting him thrown in prison. So his nightmare is even worse now. He's a slave. He did well. He did the right thing. And now he's been lied about, betrayed, and now he's thrown in prison. So he's in prison, easy for him to be angry, easy for him to be bitter, easy for him to stop doing what's right. And it says that he excelled there so much so that the warden gave everything over to him, but he was left there for years. He interpreted some dreams and people forgot about him. And so we know that there are years that go by between Joseph, uh, uh, when he was living the dream to the end of eventually Joseph's nightmare. But there's something that I find about Joseph that's very unique is that while he was living in a nightmare, he consistently lived his life a certain way. Genesis 39, two through five, while he's living in Potiphar's house, tells us this, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both, both in the house and in the field. 
How about in the prison? Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. See, there's something unique about Joseph. While he was in a nightmare, he never got tired of doing good. He never grew tired. Now, if I was in that situation, I would have been tired a long time ago. My brothers lied and betrayed me. They sold me into slavery. I did the right thing. Now I'm thrown in prison because this guy's wife likes me, and I said no to her. Now I'm in prison, and people forgot about me, and I've been left here for dead. It'd be easy to give up doing good. It'd be easy to stop being a blessing. It'd be easy to not doing what God's called us to do. But Joseph consistently maintained his integrity to live the life that God called him to do. Reminds me of Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, 9 says, Do not grow tired or do not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we, not, if we do not give up. You see, here's the thing as I was preparing this message. I believe that we're tired. And I believe that we're growing weary. And in a nightmare, it's easy for us to give up. So what I've been doing during the season is I've done something that um, most people would never do because you're much smarter than me. I'm trying to plant grass in the month of July. Has anybody ever done this before? Exactly, right, exactly. Yeah, it's the worst idea on the planet. I'm so bad at it. I'm gonna oversimplify um, planting because I'm not a farmer, but I know there's three basic things that you need, right? You need good soil, right, to put it in. It needs sunlight, which you know, I just gotta make sure that it's in a place that it can get sun, and it needs water. So what's easy for me to do is it's easy for me to take the seed. I do actually have a seed here. It's easy for me to take the seed and put it into the good soil and make sure that there's sun around it. You know how many times I have to do that? Once, and I'm done. What I have to consistently do is I have to keep watering it. Well, that's the part that gets me into trouble. Because, man, I get tired. I mean, I have some long days, some long days. Man, I walk in the house, and sometimes my girls are sweet, and sometimes they scream in bloody murder. And I'm like, man, I just, I'm tired. I don't want to go water it. I don't want to take care of it. And a day may go by, two days go, may go by. And guess what happens to my grass? Dies. You know how much dead grass I have? More than's alive. Because I get tired of going and watering. And I get tired of day in and day out, consistently continuing to come up and water this. But that's what's needed for it to grow. See, what I believe that God is speaking to us is he's saying he's given each and every one of us a seed. There's a seed that he entrusted to you and to me, whether you're watching online, whether you're here in the building, he's entrusted something to you, even in this nightmare. And my heart, my prayer is that during this message that you will begin to, you'll begin to listen to the Spirit speak to you on this. Maybe for some of you, it's your marriage. God entrusted you with this spouse. Because guess what? They don't get another husband. They don't get another wife. It's you. And he said, I've entrusted you with this man. I've entrusted you with this woman, but I'm living in a nightmare, but I've trusted you with this seed. Do not grow tired of continuing to do good for it. Maybe some of you, it's your kids. They don't get another dad. They don't get another mom. There are no redos. They grow up. And he's saying, even in the nightmare, I've entrusted a seed to you. Do not grow tired of doing good for it. Maybe that's an applied. Maybe it's your faith. 
Maybe God's given you a, a, some, some faith in your life. And in this season, he's saying, even in a nightmare, I want it to grow. Do not grow tired of doing good. Maybe it's a relationship, it's a friend. Maybe it's a, a, an opportunity at work. Some of you I've, I've talked with, and it's like, I have no idea why I've been able to keep my job. People more qualified than me have lost theirs. Why do I still have my job? Well, could it be because God entrusted you with the seed and said, even in this nightmare, I'm gonna trust you that you're not gonna grow tired of doing good. You see, a lot of times what we think is that uh, we have to do incredible works for God. You know how long it takes me to water my grass? 10 minutes? 10 minutes out of a 24-hour day, and I'm too tired to do it. I wonder how many times in our life and in a nightmare that God's entrusted us with the seed, and it would take just a few minutes to do good for it. It would take just a few minutes to water it, but we're too tired, too stressed, and we're too chaotic. What's going to happen to that seed? What's going to happen to the thing that God trusted you with? Well, it's going to die. So there's a lot of different ways that you can water the seed, a lot of different things you could do good for the seed. I'm going to give you four easy ones real quick. I want to say do not grow tired of being the encourager. Do not grow tired of being the encourager. I'm going to tell you, Christians should be the most encouraging people on the planet. The only people I can't stand are mean Christians because it's an oxymoron. right? Like Jesus loves you, he loves me, so i got to be kind to you. Like, do not grow tired of being the encourager. Well, what's, I, I have to do this. Just look at your seed. Do not grow tired of encouraging your spouse. Man, babe, thank you so much for making dinner tonight. It took you five seconds. Well, well what am I doing? I'm, I'm just watering. I'm taking some time out. Do not grow tired of encouraging your kids. Do not grow tired of encouraging your friends. Don't grow weary of doing things because the world is stressed enough. Shouldn't we be the ones that are encouraging? Shouldn't we be the ones who have hope in Jesus Christ, the ones who are out loud and outspoken saying, you matter? How about this? Do not grow tired of telling people that you care. Do not grow tired of that. Because it's easy. Everybody feels alone. Everybody feels isolated in a way that we've never experienced. Everybody feels exposed right now. Shouldn't we be the ones who say, I care? Uh, this weekend, my mom and dad were in town, and uh, I was joking with them because it happens all the time. I pull one of my girls to the side, and it seems awkward and out of place in the moment. And I'll just pull them right in, and I'll just tell them, hey, you know, daddy loves you. You know, daddy's proud of you. You know, you have pretty hair. You know, just little things that really don't mean a whole lot in that moment. But I know that I'm stressed. I know that I'm dropping a lot of balls. But here's what I know is that there's a seed that God's entrusted me, and I'm going to take five seconds every chance I get, and I'm going to tell them they matter. I'm going to encourage them because in this season, I've been trusted. I've been entrusted with something. How about this? Do not grow tired of praying over one another. It's a little bit different than just praying because a lot of times we say, I will pray for you. And let's be honest, you don't pray. I'm grateful that I grew up in a home where what we did is in the moment we prayed for people. That if Kevin came up and said, I need prayer for this, what would happen in that moment is I would pray for Kevin. Well, what are you doing in that moment? Well, you're inviting God into the situation, but you're also doing good and watering that seed that God has entrusted you with in that moment. Do you think they're talking to you by accident? Do you think it's by coincidence that they're reaching out for help? Do you think that it happened by chance that they looked to you and said, I need to talk to someone? Pray over them. Or how about four? Do not grow tired of prioritizing time for important relationships. Hear all the time that God is the most important relationship in my life. Awesome. How much time have you spent with him this week? Most important relationship in my life. Nothing's more important than that. He's number one. Awesome. Do you talk to him? Did you pray this week? 
You see, there's some faith, a seed that God's given. You say, well, I'm in a nightmare. Things are difficult. Things are hard. Joseph was in a living nightmare, but he never grew tired of doing good. He consistently continued to pour out water on the seed. So you see, with Joseph, the thing that I love is we know not just the beginning of the story. We, not know, we know not just the middle of the story, but we also know the end of the story. Right? Those of you that have been raised in church, those of you that have seen the Prince of Egypt or you've just heard about this story, like it ends really well, right? Like eventually um, Pharaoh has a dream and no one can interpret it. And the guy, the cupbearer that Joseph had interpreted the dream for in the prison years ago that forgot about him, all of a sudden, oh yeah, I know a guy. And he invites Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dream and, and Pharaoh is so amazed. I mean, Pharaoh's like, I've never seen anything like this. There's nobody in the land as wise as Joseph. Let's give this guy a job. And it's not just any job. Genesis 41, 39 says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are, are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Joseph went from a dream to a nightmare to a dream bigger and better than anything he ever would have known. It's a great story, right? And we love good stories. I love movies. Do any of you love movies? I mean, I love a good movie. How many of you love Disney at home? Anybody love Disney? I mean, I love I loved Disney movies. They're so good. Favorite movie of all time, regardless of genre, is The Lion King. Lion King is fantastic. Man, I could preach on The Lion King. I've done it before. Like, it's a great movie. And what do we love about Lion King? Well, in the beginning, Simba is living the dream. He's the, the son of the king. Everybody respects him, but he has no responsibility. But one day he's going to be king, but for now he's playing, he's singing songs, he's running around with other animals, but then tragedy strikes, right? We know that his father, Mufasa, was murdered. And now, and now Simba is chased out of town, left for dead and all alone. How many of you would have watched the movie if it ended there? Nobody. I wouldn't watch that movie. That's garbage. I wouldn't have given that to my kids. No, 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 no. Don't watch this. We love the story because although he was in a nightmare, he came back from his nightmare and fulfilled his dream to become king, fulfilled his purpose. See, and here's the thing that we know about Joseph and the thing that I believe that God is telling us today is that our story is not over. You may be in a nightmare right now and it may be tough and it may be difficult and it may be chaotic, but it is not the end of your story. Jeremiah 29 says that he has a good plan for us. Just a little bit further in Genesis 50, Joseph is speaking. We sang a song about it. And he says, hey, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. That nightmare that I lived in, God actually did something more powerful than I would have ever imagined. I began to consistently just do good, even in the nightmare. And now look at what God has done in my life. I believe there's some people, maybe in this room, maybe at home, you need to know that your story is not over that God is still writing it. And even while he's writing it, he's saying, don't grow tired of doing good. So there's a story that I love. When I, uh, when I was 18, 19 years old, I was at college and I had to do a report on a missionary. I'd heard about this missionary my whole life, but hadn't really heard a lot about this person and found out that uh, they had written a book. And it's right here, I have it. And so I was like, all right, I want to read this book and I want to find out about this missionary so I can write about him. And this missionary, her name's Eleanor, the life that she lived was a total nightmare. From the moment she was born, she had no idea what a dream even was. In the beginning of her book, she talks about being born in Maine. And she was uh, born, they, they dropped her on a bucket, hit her head, and put her on a bug-infested bed. 
said her parents didn't want her. She talks about chasing, literally, it's, it's in this book. She talks about chasing rats with knives and eating the meat because it was the best thing they had. She had a sister who died of starvation before she was six years old. I mean, like, this was rough. And eventually social workers came in. They took her out of this terrible home. They put her in a good home. You know what the good home was? It was a pastor's home. Should be the best, right? She talks about seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, this pastor sexually abusing her day after day after day. And nobody ever believed in her because he was a pastor. I'm talking about a nightmare. She gets a little bit older. She gets out of this house. She has other issues. She begins to get into alcohol. She begins to sleep around just to anything to loosen the pain, anything to feel better about herself, to forget about the nightmare that she's been living until she's now 21 years old. And she literally has never had a single thing to be thankful for in her words. 21 years old and a lady named Nellie invites her to church. Won't leave her alone about it. Just keeps inviting her, keeps inviting her, keeps inviting her. Says, God's, God's got his, she says, God's got a hook in your mouth. So eventually she agrees to go. She talks about wearing some nasty fur coat and really skimpy clothes because she wanted to make it known. I don't belong here. She gives her life to the Lord in that moment. And what was a nightmare now turned into a dream. And the dream was God was calling her to be a missionary. She began a missionary for 14 years in South America. And while she's there, it was the dream, but it was also a nightmare in a lot of ways. She talks about being robbed. She talks about being held at gunpoint. Uh, she even tells the story of falling into a snake pit. I got to tell you, I've had some rough things. I've never fallen into a snake pit in the middle of a jungle. She crawls out of the snake pit. Snake pit. I got to talk with her about it and said, what'd you do after that? She said, well, God gave me a mission. So I just kept going. I'm like, you are tough. Like you are awesome. Like I am not anything like you. That's amazing. And she talks about how she's living in this life. And eventually while she's there, God gives her a seed. It's a little seed. A native, as she says in her book, brings a six-month-old child who has polio, who's sick, who they don't think is going to make it, brings it to this missionary and says, will you take care of this little girl? So she had committed to never be married, to never having kids because of the rough experience that she had growing up. She just said, I'm not meant to be a mom. I'm not meant to have kids. I don't want to bring people into this world. In that moment, she says her heart turned. She took this six-month-old. She adopted it. She brought the child to America. She talks about years of the medical issues that she had, about constantly being in cast, all the surgeries. She talks about how she really didn't know even how to live in the U.S. This little girl didn't even speak English. She lived in the South where there was a lot of uh, racism that was attacked towards her and towards this little girl from South America. And how consistently throughout it, she always just kept watering it. She always just kept water and she always kept doing good all throughout this book. Thing after thing after thing. Somebody died. Somebody attacked them. Somebody did something. But she said, I have a daughter that I love. I have a daughter that I love. I have a baby that I've been entrusted with. It's amazing. I have a picture of the missionary that I want to share with you guys. This is her towards the end of her life. I told you her name was Eleanor. It's actually Eleanor Boynton. Um, her favorite color was purple. Um, she liked elephants. Uh, pretty, pretty cool lady. Um, I have a picture of her with that seed that she was entrusted with. See that girl right over there? That's my mom. And that son right there is part of the seed that that woman was given and entrusted with. And see, that seed has continued to grow. I've got another picture I want to show you. Not only did she raise this little girl, but this little girl had three boys and these three boys have wives and they have kids. And this one seed that she was entrusted with, although she was living in a nightmare, has continued to grow and continued to flourish. And now it's not just a seed, but it's a massive tree that continues to grow and continues to go on. Why? Because someone realized that their story wasn't over 
And they said, I'm going to continue to do good for what I've been entrusted with. I'm going to continue to serve this little girl. I'm going to continue to love her. I'm going to raise her because I know that God's not finished. And there's somebody in here, you need to know that God is not finished writing your story. That he's saying, just keep doing good. Just keep watering it. Just keep encouraging. Just keep praying over. Just keep making time for that seed because it'll be just like Joseph. You'll ascend to a dream that you never thought possible. So that wedding, that, that picture of, of Eleanor, my, my mama, in purple, was actually here in Mason, Ohio. She came up for my wedding. And I'll never forget how proud she was. Just kept going on and on about, man, I never thought God would do this with my life. <laughs> I'm telling you that you're in a nightmare. And it's okay to admit you're in a nightmare. Do you have no idea the dream that's on the other side of that nightmare if you will not grow tired of doing good? So maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you are tired. I want to tell you something. Your story's not over. Do not grow tired of doing good. There are seeds you've been entrusted with. Continue to do good for that. Maybe you're a husband who's stressed, work is hard. Maybe you've lost your job and you're really, life is chaotic. I want you to know your story's not over. Do not grow tired of doing good. Maybe you're a teenager and you say, man, college does not look like what I wanted it to. High school is completely messed up right now. Life is a complete nightmare. I want to tell you something. You have friends, you have relationships, you have a faith that God has given you a seed and said, don't grow tired of doing good. Some of you, you're single and you've been lonelier than you've ever felt in your life. And I want you to know that God said, I'm writing your story. Just continue to do good because there's something on the other side of this. Church, we're not battling flesh and blood fighting principalities or fighting things that are bigger than us. So let's realize that we've been exposed. It's okay. I've been exposed, but man, I need a savior. Man, I need God in my life. I've been entrusted with the seed. You have a seed in your life that God is saying, don't grow tired of doing good for it. Well, why? Because your store is not over. You're still writing it. What we're going to do right now is we're going to do things a little bit differently. He's here in a minute. I'll come back up and we'll do both bolt steps. But I believe that God wants to speak to you. I believe that God's already speaking to you. What we're going to do is we're going to go into a time of worship. And it's just going to say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I'm hoping you've seen that even at home that you're going to say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in my life. I need you here in this building. God, I need you to continue to write my story. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I need you to do what only you can do in my life. Let's see what it'll do. So if you're in the room, I'm going to ask you to stand and pray with me. If you're at home, I'm going to ask you to do something different. Close your eyes and bow your head and pray with us as we head into a time of worship. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you're still writing our story. I thank you that this is not the end of Four Corners. This is not the end of the Antley family. This is not the end of some marriages. This is not the end of some struggles that we're going. You're still writing our story. And so God, I pray this morning, for those of us who've been exposed, I pray for transparency to say, God, I need you. God, I pray for some husbands right now who will be vulnerable and weak and say, I need God because I'm not the man that my family needs. I need a savior. God, I pray for some women who are willing to say, I need God. I'm exhausted. I can't keep going anymore. I can't take enough vacations. I need a savior because I'm living in a nightmare. And God, I pray for us that God, we would be willing to continue to do good for the seeds you've entrusted us in. God, I pray, God, for supernatural strength. 
God, I pray for some people that as they walk out of this building, they just feel a little bit lifted. For some people at home right now, as the tears begin to move, God, I pray that right now they would feel your supernatural strength. We can do all things through you who give us strength. And God, I pray that we would hold tight, steadfast to the anchor, the hope that our story is not over. God, I pray that you would speak to some young people right now and let them know that their story is not over. God, I pray for students to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God, you're not done. That God, you have so much that you wanna do in their life and this is a nightmare, but it's not the end of the story. And God, I pray that your spirit would move. I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would do what only you can do in these next few moments in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining in today to the 4C podcast. If you took a next step or you'd like to receive prayer, go ahead and email nextsteps at fourcornerschurch.com and we look forward to connecting with you. Thanks for listening.